Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mike to go. <laughs> it took me a second on that. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is that for? Oh, you know, I wasn't sure if I was going to say it right or wrong. It just came out. And I am the blue guy. Welcome to episode 250, Barely Legal 1997. No I mean, tagline. I mean, it's the. Does it need one? It's the I first mean, ECW pay per view. There we go. There's your tagline. The first ECW pay per view. We've been seeing EC. We've been seeing BWO shirts on WCW and WWF shows. Yeah. I didn't realize how nationwide ECW was even in '97. Yeah. yeah. So this is the inaugural, barely legal, produced by ECW, and as you said, it is the first actual pay per view that ECW would run. It took place on April 13th, 1997, from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of 1,170 people. Hanging from the rafters. I mean, you can tell because the steel barricades are a foot closer to the ring. You can always tell when ECW show is uh, bumping because it's a little scarier when uh, these freaks fly over the top rope. To the floor. And see, I know that, you know, their shows take place in the ECW arena, but it just feels like for their first advertised official pay-per-view that they would have tried to go into a bigger spot, get some more people. You want a spoiler? Okay. This is the only pay-per-view they ever film in the ECW arena. Okay. Oh, wow. I yeah, it, just, it seems like they shot themselves in the foot with... We're only going to allow this many people in here when people have been waiting for a pay-per-view for I the mean, last few years. you gotta, you got to give it up to your regulars on the first one. I can see that. And put on a good show. Yeah. And then maybe they'll follow you to Queens, the only other place that <laughs> ECW has ever been. <laughs> we had a show from Florida one time. That's true. And I believe you, but I don't remember it. I do remember going to Queens a few times. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's... Been Queens and Philly, but there was one show yeah. that they did in Florida. Yeah, okay, I can picture the setup because it was. Like, it was a like, it, it was a TV episode that was filmed mostly in Florida. But, but yeah, I can picture the uh, the high school. Yeah, the basketball hoops. Ah, uh, okay. Turned up. So, we are in Philly. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. So Shane, did you do what you do? I kind of did. Philadelphia cream cheese. Yes. We, uh, here we are in Philly. And, spoiler alert, there's one announcement that we do have to make that coincides with this little dish, but we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, we can just say it right now, because it makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this episode will release the same week as one Michael Birthday. <sighs> Woo! <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I didn't... Realize that Shane uh, brought a beautiful little ECW themed cake. Yes, 
instead of we trying to figure out what the hell Philly people eat or drink, we decided to just turn it into something for Michael. Uh-huh. So, you know, using the Philadelphia cream cheese, which is an ingredient in the cheesecake, even though we've mentioned before that they technically don't come from Philadelphia. It's yeah. just in name only. We're What's just, in a name? Exactly. I went to uh, my local grocery store and grabbed one of those little pre-made cheesecakes that they had available because they did not have an undecorated cake that I could take at the moment. And I was in a hurry because work got off late and I had like 45 minutes to be over here. So grabbed a little cheesecake, New York style. Unfortunately, it's not Philly style, but it is made with Philly cream cheese. I went into the cake decorating aisle and lo and behold, found this lovely container of uh, funfetti frosting that happened to be Ocean aqua blue. blue and then i grabbed uh, some basic birthday decorations that said happy birthday and a thing of white icing and i slathered some of that blue frosting on top threw on the happy birthday candy lettering and then drew on a bwo i mean in the middle. You, I mean, you guys will be able to find the photo. It'll be really easy to such point a, out. I'm such a remember wonderful. to actually post it because yeah. I've fallen behind on my food postings lately. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, this stop one, it. Some, you know, there's drinks, there's food, but this one... It's a little special. BWO. Yeah. BWO, happy BW Earth Day. Yeah, uh, thank you. Along with that, <laughs> I actually brought some presents. Oh, no. Ooh. So, first of all... A wonderful moonlighting magnet. Oh, okay, I've been. Uh, I, th- I heard that moonlighting just got put on a streaming service. It's on Hulu now, and yeah. I've been wanting to watch it, so I might have to pause uh, watching Roseanne and start watching Moonlighting because I've always heard good things about it. But it is, you this know, was, this was basically as a reminder that you need to watch Moonlighting. Yeah, because yes. I think yeah. you would love it. I, yeah, I think I would too. I uh, like Bruce Willis a good amount, and. Uh, Sybil Shepherd in Last Picture Show. I mean, come on. One of my... I don't know if it's one of my favorite movies, but it would probably be at least in the top 100. Oh, yeah. I mean, Matty Hayes and David Addison, you can't... It's it's one of those magical combinations. Yeah. You, know, you had Cagney and Lacey. You had... I'm trying to think of other power duos from the the 80s. I mean, you had you I mean, know, this Hawkeye. Is, this and, is one of your original Will They, Won't They yeah. type shows. Yeah, I know that about it, and I know that it's like kind of weird and quirky. It gave and, a home um, to a booger from Re- Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah, he stayed really? relevant. Yeah. Curtis Armstrong is one of the featured cast. Damn, is it is it Revenge of the Nerds 2 where he's like trying to catch the fly with the chopsticks? Yes. God damn. Uh, because he was learning how to truly hop a loogie. <laughs> but the other part is a Rick Steiner. Oh! <laughs> Lovely. Ooh, 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 ooh. I was like, what else do you have down there? God damn it, do I love Rick Steiner? Yeah, I, I bought that exact Rick Steiner. <sighs> what a guy. Way, way, way back in the day when WCW came out with this Funky Ones. And yeah, much it's so like crazy, the one that yeah. I have, his his, his, his ass is slightly warm. He has a very prominent <laughs> prominent sculpted buttocks. The, uh, yeah, and he's got the tattoo. Damn, that's awesome. Scramlin. I love him. We all know I'm a Rick Steiner guy. Go support your vintage toy shops. I found these at a store in Denver. Oh, wow. Uh, I believe the store is called I Love the 80s. Nice. Yeah. I'm gonna it's have a to, very cool toy store. I'm going to have to put them with my uh, junkyard dog collection. <laughs> I have, I think, 
all but one junkyard dog action figure that's been released. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Just because you got to pick one. Why not pick uh, a guy you really like? I have to get you on those other guys' podcasts. He loves, he loves the ones that are dogs. Yeah, that's true. It is true. true. Yeah, yeah. I love the the headbutt on all fours. It really means something to me. Shane, you gonna take a bite of your delicious cheese? Oh yes. Yeah. For all these, because you know that's, what the, you. that's what the fans are. I know for. they are. I need to start writing your birthdays down because the only birthday I know is mine and my sister's. I get my mom and dad's mixed up. They're in the same month, so it's like one's early in June, one's late in June. And all my, yeah, some friends that I've known for longer, I'm like, oh, I think I remember the month, but I don't know the day. All right, New York cheesecake with BWO frosting. Here we go. It didn't really make any noise because I already had it broke off, but we'll do this. I mean... Yeah, not yeah. much sound. The uh, it's it's cheesecake. It, it shouldn't good. make noise. Surprisingly bizarre. Putting the straight, frosting works. The frosting works. Yeah, it sounds like it wouldn't work. It's like, well, it's cheesecake. It's like, well, what if you put like some teeth shattering amounts of sugar, a thin layer of teeth shattering amounts of sugar on top of a cheesecake? I mean, it, it's not a bad it's, idea. It's a not so much a, a swirl cheesecake. It's just got all that. Little extra flavor on top there, and I don't really know if the fun putty frosting has a flavor or if it's just frosting flavored. But yeah, you you taste the frosting up first, and then you get that smoothness from the cheesecake afterwards. That I, kind of yeah. clips away at the sweetness of the frosting. I just came up with an idea. Hmm. Uh, anybody can seal it if they'd like. But you make a cheesecake. You you know cheesecake typically dips down after it bakes. You smear the top with creme brulee. Hit it with a flame. Yeah, you get a crunch on top of it. We used to do that. At, uh, oh, okay. I, I was that, that, say. that was our back whenever I was working at the Mantle. Oh, okay. In the city, that was our special guest dessert. I mean, it's ah. it's it's one of those things where it's like I can't believe I've never seen this before, but yeah, someone's just, had to have done it. We would just take our creme brulee and spread it over the top of a yeah. piece of cheesecake, and, and then, then hit it hit it with the flame. Such a good idea. Great. Yeah. Smart. And then you can charge somebody like $14 a slice for it. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, I was like, yeah, never seen it before, but I, somebody had to have done it. And I'm glad to know that they had, because it would have been a real tragedy if nobody came up with that simple idea before. <laughs> well, something else that would happen right around the same time Ooh. as this show. <sighs> trio of young boys from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh, God. Would release... A song that would captivate the country. Many of the masses and annoy the rest of us. Jesus. Yeah. What a disgusting earworm. Mm-hmm. I did that completely from memory. I have not listened to that song in years. You did good. It was pretty much spot on. Right before I moved here, because I moved into Oklahoma at the end of 98, I believe, this song became huge, and there was a girl in my like neighborhood that my sister befriended, who was maybe her age, 
or a year older or whatever who was like obsessed with Hanson and got my sister obsessed with Hanson and she was like I remember we found out we were moving to Oklahoma and this girl was excited because not Hanson was from Tulsa Oklahoma and yeah and I just found that very funny and bizarre and weird and then not too long after that the song was completely inescapable but when she had she was a super fan and i had never even heard of the thing yet and then i used to also make fun of my sister all the time because when she was younger she was a tomboy and she looked pretty similar to the drummer so i would you gotta tease your siblings okay, tease the shit out of her what yeah. were their names uh, Taylor was one. Zach, Isaac, and Taylor. That's right. Isaac was the one. The drummer? No, no. Isaac was the guitar player. Or wait, yeah. Zach was the drummer. Taylor Isaac was the was keyboard the older one. player, and Zach was the drummer. Taylor was the one that everybody thought was a girl. Yeah. Except for the girls who were in love with him, mm-hmm. but possibly because yeah. he looked like a girl. Isaac was the one that looked like a Von Eric, and the other ones looked like little girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was working at Blockbuster Video when this song came out, and it was on our trailer tapes that we had to watch all day long, every day, yeah. until the new one came out. So I grew very, 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 very tired of this song. Very, 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 mm-mm-mm-mm-mm, bop quickly. Also, they didn't have another single. They put out a Christmas album, and then there's like, what is the other song? Nobody has one they can pull out, unless you're like a true Hanson fan. Yeah. Which... They do exist. We live in Oklahoma. There's people around our ages that are women who still ride for those records. Now I gotta look just to make sure because I'm like, is there seriously not another one? Yeah, I remember there's a song on the album that has to do with like aliens, and that's the only other thing I remember. But I'd be curious to see how much my sister remembers from that record. Middle nowhere. At least a bunch of albums, which I've actually heard that. I mean, obviously, like, good players. They are a good band. Like nothing earth shattering and nothing blew up. Obviously, like Mbop. But I mean, they had "Where's the Love" hit number two off the same album. Okay, I vaguely remember that one, but I just keep um, the I song will... that pops in my head is. Uh, the Black Eyed Peas tune, yeah, which is really bad. I will bad. come to you. Hit number nine. Okay, not a not a bad. I guess they had a song off their second album, hit number twenty, called "This Time Around." But like, they literally released an album with Mbop two point this year. Good oh God. wow! Oh, we have to find this one right this second. Do we? I mean, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not mad at them by any means. Oh, uh, I thought it was going to be like a shoegaze version of something. Oh, yeah. A little, a little harder. What's well, Busted and Hanson, which who, I don't know who Busted is. But it looks like it's, they're a, possibly like a cover cover band type thing because they played with a bunch of different people the thing about this song is that like the riff is catchy and the vocals are riffy it's the or like catchy but the chorus is fucking so obnoxious but I mean I guess that's what did it but I don't think I don't, I'm not mad at the song until it hits the chorus 
Because it's one of those songs that your kids can sing in the back seat without really having to know the words because all they need to know is because even the actual words that they sang or in the you know in the kind of like lyrics they didn't make any sense honestly it sounded like he was it is kind of the the like poppy version of the chorus from smells like teen spirit you know what i mean yeah where it's like oh like it sounds like sounds if you're not paying attention but they are saying words bop to the top and i don't have to dooby dot bop yeah 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 Instead of yeah, it's like yeah, a mosquito, Malamino, yeah. But yeah, that's Hanson and Imbop. My favorite beer of all time was a collaboration with Hanson's. No, I haven't had that. But they did a collaboration beer with some other company. I can't remember what it's called, but it doesn't exist anymore. And it's coveted as my favorite beer of all time. I remember when I was. Working Wolfgang Pucks in Tulsa, and I think it was Isaac that came in with his wife, and the girls on staff just freaked out because one of them was getting to wait on one of the Hanson guys, and I had to have the talk with all of them on staff, kind of like we used to have back in the day at Olive Garden where Garth Brooks would always come in of, oh, yeah. if you are not his server, you do not go to the table. You do not approach his table unless you're <laughs> dropping off food. There will be no fo- you know, taking pictures. There will be no asking for autographs because if you want him to come back again, you're going to leave him the hell alone. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and then they, you know, now here we are at our current place and it's like Jim Ross walks in and like, let me get a picture. We were empty. No. I would. I'm still jealous that I wasn't there because I would have done Jim the same Ross, thing. It's Jim Ross, not Isaac Hansen. We're talking Jim only, Ross here. It's the only reason it happens. I've been shooting him. We were completely messages empty. on Twitter. We were completely empty. That's the only reason I even yeah. asked for the the photo. No, it's I mean, different now. Matt has been in an elevator with Paul Heyman and didn't bother him. What? Pretty incredible. And then there's me screaming across the lobby of a hotel room for Michael P.S. Hayes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Doc! Like, I tweeted at Walker, <laughs> Doc, at Walker Stewart to come in and have have dinner on me. Yeah. yeah, I used to shoot messages on Twitter to JR's barbecue constantly. Yeah, you could probably tell him more about New Japan. He showed up on the day and he day currently was gone. <laughs> but speaking of barely legal and Hanson, we, we'll talk about the show now. Hey. Yeah, it's time. <laughs> Joey Styles is in the ring, welcoming everyone to the show as the crowd chants. ECW, ECW. He starts going over the matches of the evening when the Dudley boys interrupt, chasing Joey out of the ring so that Devon can take the mic to tell the fans to shut up Dudley and demand suck. that they Dudley bow to them. Suck. And then the fans chime right back with a good old "fuck you, Devon." Fuck you, Devon. He follows up by calling them inbred and illiterate pieces of garbage, and it's time. To testify. And I must say, the picture is so much better already on this show compared to the other ECW shows that we've watched because it's either a way better download it's, or they brought in some good cameras for their first pay-per-view. It's probably just a better camera. Yeah. But I will say straight right up front, the camera work isn't any different. No. It's no, just no. a clearer picture. Okay, yeah, see. I noticed that during the Taz match because I could actually see... Fonzie's face. Yeah. Before I could only just see like a pixelated, blurry <laughs> set of mangled teeth. Also, think that the audio is very different. Where 
maybe it's been juiced on the network, but this show is not on the network. So, like, yeah, the audio is yeah, thinner. This the... is one of the few shows that the network has never put back on yeah. after they switched from the network to Peacock. Which is, I mean, kind of awesome because you go out of your way to watch fixed. it and you get all the songs, but, like, the audio is, like, I don't know, cleaner. Yes. And uh, the you can hear the ring really well and it makes everything sound makes all the moves look bigger and sound bigger but the crowd sound is not as high yeah in the mix we then get an opening video package showing title and date of the show before various clips of violence and hot women they have maybe better looking cameras but they're still using clip art baby yeah, yeah. we come back to the ring with Joel Gertner on the mic to introduce himself with a limerick before introducing the undisputed and undefeated tag team champions. So we go to our first match, the Dudley boys of Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley with sign guy Dudley versus the eliminators of Perry Saturn and John Cronus. And the Dudley boys were already out there and they're the champs. Foreshadowing... Also, the Eliminators now have matching gear. Yep. It's like a nice, new, shiny, pink. pinky, pink silver. <laughs> it's like pink and silver, yeah. Almost blinds you to look at it. Yeah. So since the last ECW show that we watched, which was Cyber Slam, there had actually been another show, Hostile City Showdown, that we couldn't find video for. And the Dudleys had actually won the tag belts at that show. So... This match is a rematch, basically. They're getting their rematch for the titles. And are the Eliminators face now? I mean, the Dudley boys you are know, definitely the heels. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the... I mean, I thought maybe that was the case, you know, <laughs> because the Dudleys are heel, and... Eliminators been the over Eliminators for a minute. have pink gear, so I thought maybe they are I don't know. No, they've just been over for a hot minute, and the Devon and... Devon's here, and people aren't fans of Devon. So as the challengers hit the ring, the Dudleys roll out to the floor. So Sign Guy gets attacked from behind and receives total elimination. I mean, come on. First move on the pay-per-view, total elimination? The Dudleys then run back in to attack from behind themselves, with Devon hitting a reverse DDT on Perry, while Cronus is dropped with a Bubba Bomb and a diving headbutt from Devon for a two-count. A tilt-a-whirl body slam, splash combo by the Dudleys on Saturn, followed by a vertical suplex flying crossbody combo on John. I mean, what's going on here? Coming out hot. Yep. Big boy moves. The Dudleys attempt a double clothesline on Perry, but he ducks and leaps off the ropes over them to deliver a double drop kick and clothesline to each man, only to then run into a Bubba Ray Uranagi. You know what I noticed? They dropped at least an extra thousand dollars because the mat has the ECW logo. Yeah, yeah. Good eye. I was like, "Oh, look at that!" That was what I noticed. Not the camera as much, but the Dudleys go for a 3D on Cronus, only for Saturn to kick Devon away too early, allowing John to bounce off the ropes with a spinning heel kick to Bubba. The Eliminators now double-team the Dudleys with kicks, elbows, and thrust kicks, 
followed by a pair of body slams and heading up top for stereo corkscrew splashes, sending the champs out to the floor to regroup. But the Eliminators don't let them rest for long as they nail a Saturn Salt and a space-flying Cronus Drop, which is him doing that handspring leap over the ropes, plancha onto them. Yeah, uh, okay. We can see that handspring back elbow or splash to the corner, but he took it out to the floor. We're on pay-per-view. Back in the ring, the Eliminators continue the punishment with a top rope spinning heel kick and a handspring back elbow, followed by a top rope elbow drop and a double jump Saturn Salt. Damn. John adds a 450 splash to the mix. Holy shit. Before delivering total elimination to Bubba Ray. For the pin. And, and the win. And new. I mean, guys. Wild for it to be essentially a spot fest squash match against the Dudleys. Right off the bat. And old Cronus with that 450. Oh my god. He's huge. Get out. Um, yeah. I, I wrote down that this was uh, Buck's core. <laughs> but, like, you know, but Cronus uh, is the size of the young Bucks on each other's shoulders. Yeah. So it's extra wild. Yeah, he's he's a big dude. Tall, he's. He's a thick dude, so doing a 450 yeah. splash off the top, ain't, I wasn't expecting We've that. We've seen our um, our big, nimble men. We've seen our, our Bam Bams, but... Has he done anything like that before, and I'm just not remembering? Bam Bam used to do the cartwheel. The but 450 splash? Cronus. I don't think I've no. ever seen him do the 450 splash. No. Okay. I mean, his little handspring leap over the ropes thing is impressive oh, yeah. enough. Crazy. But, like, we've seen our big guys that can move, but I don't know if I've ever seen a big guy that moves like Cronus does. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as, like, Brock is huge and used to do, like, the, uh, or what's the one where you do the forward? Shooting star press. Yeah, you yeah. do a shooting star press. It's like, that's insane. But Cronus is not as, like, chiseled and fit Mm-mm. as uh, Brock Lesnar. No. And he's doing shit that, like, Brock, ne- Brock Lesnar maybe could do, but shouldn't. Yeah, Cronus But should not do. Dad bod before it was... Dad bod. Yeah, yeah. He's uh he's one upping Saturn at this point. Saturn will jump off something real big, but post match as the eliminators celebrate, Joel Gertner enters the ring to say the fans are too stupid to realize that the Dudleys won. Fuck as it was up. scored on the stud muffin scoring system eighty six to eighty three. So they're still the champions. The crowd then chants Fuck 'em up. Yes. Okay, sorry. I was like, uh, it was a little early there. So the Eliminators oblige, giving him total elimination. And boy, did they ever. And this actually causes Joel Gertner to wear a neck brace for years. I mean, if... He takes the the heel shoot. It's not shoot. 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 It's just getting... Yeah. But... The, I had to replay it a few times. He takes that heel directly to the nose. Yeah. And it's gnarly. Yeah, it's... I, I had to go back and watch it at least once or twice more. And kind of that same thought. It was a, a picture-perfect kick to the face, kick oh, his yeah. face off. And yeah, I, I totally believe that he'd wear a neck brace for quite some time afterwards. I mean, yeah, I'd be surprised if he didn't break his nose. Yeah, just that feel-good moment in the first match. Eliminate. 
Joey then introduces a video of Sandman, where he's cutting a promo in the back, while highlights of him are shown, including a slow-motion clip of him caning Balls Mahoney, while also showing him drinking and smashing cans on his head. And guys, don't be worried. That's the only time we see Balls Mahoney on the show. (laughs) Styles then tells us we were supposed to get a Chris Candido match next, but he's injured. However, he has something he wants to say. So we go to the ring, where Chris has a mic in hand. Can he go? Can he go? And he begins to speak about his past with the company. How he was around in the beginning, but now the company is extreme. Candido continues that this time last year, he was with his buddy Dr. Tom and his girl. Which he can't say his name. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. It was pretty fun to hear Bruce mentioned did he did he actually say uncle bruce and see i was trying to he, he said it so fast at that spot there i heard him say that he couldn't say the name and then i didn't understand what the rest of it was he's i think he says yeah because bruce will get mad i, I, I think he said because uncle bruce will get mad yeah i mean it's a a really great promo but candido speaks a little too fast he's you know a little nervous, or he doesn't do long promos like yeah. this uh, regularly. But uh, somebody else did the talking for it, him before. Yeah, it is very good and heartfelt. But uh, yeah, he does. His cadence is a little quick. He talks about winning the WWF tag titles on the Mania pre-show the last year, but now he's on ECW's first pay-per-view, or so he thought. And he's angry that he's not on the shirt or any promotional materials. Sabu and Taz deserve the main event, but he should get some credit. Candido then dares Sandman to come out and hit him with a stick, but he doesn't want a dirty Singapore cane. That's pussy country. (laughs) Bring a Jersey cane. Yeah. It's just like, what's a Jersey cane? He's just just playing, playing to the crowd. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And Chris starts going off on others such as Stevie Richards and Terry Funk before promising to be part of the event tonight. I think Jersey Kane is uh, slang for crack. (laughs) Yeah, I typed in Jersey (laughs) Kane and they just bring up jerseys. Yeah, yeah, it's not a thing. But he was just, he's just playing to to the hometown crowd. So we go to our second match. Lance Storm versus Rob Van Dam. I mean, come on. Come on. And this is originally where Chris Candido was supposed to face off versus Lance Storm in this match. Rob Van Dam wasn't, is the replacement. Rob Van Dam wasn't going to be on the he show. He wasn't going to be on this pay-per-view. Which is Crazy. legitimately a uh, travesty. And like Candido versus Rob Van Dam uh, would be great. But like Lance Storm isn't... He's... I feel like he's been less featured than Chris Candido. Yeah, we've or only seen him one time before. Yeah, yeah. So it's great they want to push him. I'm pro Lance Storm, but like, you're not going to put Rob Van Dam on the show. That's nuts. So Lance gives Candido well wishes when they meet in the aisleway, while RVD gets a mixed reaction as you the friend. Yeah, because there were rumors that he was leaving for WCW. Hmm. Mr. Monday Night. So the two men have a feeling out process to start until Storm avoids a monkey flip and hits a clothesline before grabbing a headlock. 
only for Van Dam to power out for some kicks, an arm drag, and a springboard crossbody. RVD tosses Lance out to the floor, following out with a tope con hio, before also hitting a top rope leg drop back inside the ring for a two count. Storm is whipped to a corner, only for him to leap up to the top rope, vaulting backwards with an elbow, followed by a rubber band slam and a drop kick that sends Van Dam out to the floor. And Lance goes for a slingshot crossbody, only for RVD to move to regain control, tossing Storm into a guardrail before also leaping off one for a moonsault. Crazy. What are you doing? There's no room. And you can tell because... The moonsault like stops halfway in the air and he just like crumbles to down on top of him. It's like there's not enough space, Rob. Use your head. We want you alive. Lance is rolled in while Van Dam grabs a chair, tossing it hard into Storm's face, followed by a running Van Daminator, an underhook face buster, and a frog splash for a near fall. An RVD throws the chair at Lance's face again, <sighs> tries for a rolling splash into a corner only for Storm to move and power slam Van Dam onto the chair. Lance then ducks a spinning heel kick, followed by one of his own, for also nailing a cartwheel splash into a corner, and a top rope crossbody for a two count. Storm then rolls RVD into a Boston Crab, before transitioning into a half crab, until Van Dam can grab the ropes to break the hold. RVD then back body drops Lance out to the apron, taking him down to the apron before hitting a slingshot guillotine leg drop. But back in the ring, Van Dam tosses a chair to Lance and attempts a Van Daminator. But Storm ducks and hits a weak chair shot, Yeah. followed by a tiger bomb onto the chair for a near fall. Lance then goes to the top as RVD makes his way to his feet with the help of the chair. When Storm would leap off with a leg drop, that would drive Van Dam's head into the steel for a two count. Nasty. But the two fight over a waist lock when RVD would go low, followed by crotching Lance on the ropes and going for a springboard back elbow. But he slips as he comes off, so the crowd lets him know, You fucked up. Storm comes back with a bridging German suplex and more weak chair shots that the crowd doesn't like either. I mean, Lance Storm, he's probably not well-versed in the way of the chair. Which distracts Lance, but once he turns back towards RVD, he's nailed with a Van Daminator, followed by a standing moonsault for the pin and And the the win. Post-match, Storm wants a handshake, but RVD grabs a mic to refuse, saying he's not there for respect from anyone, that he doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks, especially Paul E. Dangerously. And Lance just calls him an asshole with Van Damme agreeing before saying he sold out, but to himself, because he swallowed his pride and wrestled as a replacement. But he's not a second-line wrestler. He is not. RVD continues that it's all about business, and beating Storm makes him more money in ECW, and elsewhere, which just pisses off the fans even more. Van Dam then grins and poses while the fans chant, Get the fuck out! 
And yeah, of course they hit the na 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 na. Hey hey, <laughs> goodbye. But it was it was good that they were able to kind of turn him, like his storyline that he yeah. has going on, him not being on the pay per view, into a into a fur- furthering yeah. of his storyline. And honestly, um, since we haven't seen much Lance Storm, Lance Storm earned a bunch of respect in this match from. Being a uh, tough guy that can fucking move it in the ring. Yeah. I don't think him and Candido is... It could have been a better match, but it wouldn't have done... Landstorm versus Chris Candido would not have raised either of the men's profile. It might have. It could have. It has the potential to. But like uh, uh, like an, a really great match with RVD, whether they win or lose, would raise either of their profiles... More, I think, than the two of them against each other. Yeah, which I, which is kind of interesting that that's maybe RVD. That was the whole plan was that it was uh, it would be one of them versus him, and that's yeah, just some kayfabe. Joey then sends us to a video package about Terry Funk, yeah. where we get clips of his hardcore work with Paul Heyman narration hyping up the three way dance match. We then go to our third match, BWO Japan. Gone international, folks. Oh, my God. Taka Michinoku, Men's Trial, and Dick Ta- Togo Hongo. Yeah. versus Masato Yakashuji, Great Suzaki, and Gran Hamada. Best name ever. Which one? Dick Togo. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dick Togo, yeah. I mean, he's been around forever. He's, he's much larger now. So we haven't seen Mishinoku since Best of Super Juniors 94, episode 119. Hamada and Suzaki at the J-Crown Tournament, episode 213. And the English translation of Teao is Terry Boy. That's what it was. Yeah. And is an homage, actually, to Terry Funk. Yep. Yep, he's got the little, uh, like, 70s Terry Funk, like, frill... Yeah. Shorts on. I was kind of hoping he'd get on the microphone. microphone yeah. <laughs> to hear that in broken English would be incredible. While you might recognize <laughs> Togo from his days in Kayentai mm-hmm. in WWF, or maybe even from his current run in New Japan as the worst. <laughs> I mean, yeah. He is. is that um, his actual name is the worst? No. 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 He's just the worst. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, he is he is the shit stirrer for the faction that does nothing but stir shit and, like, cheat. And New Japan always has one faction that cheats, but this one cheats so much that it's not even fun. He literally, I think, is one uh, least favorite wrestler on the Super J cast, like, three years running. <laughs> yeah. Which is the one that looked like the Green Ranger? That's that Masato Yukasuji. Yeah. yeah, he's subbing in for Grand uh, Naniwa. Yeah, Which, that's do you all guys I remember think. Grand Naniwa? Yeah. He was the crab guy. Yep. Oh, okay. He was the comedy crab guy. Yeah. Uh, who was obviously talented, but this guy in his Green Ranger thing. Yeah, that's he, all I could think was. Yeah. I was watching it is, he looks like the Green Ranger. Yeah, yeah. He looks like the Green Ranger. I mean, fans even chanted. Now, all six of these men are from Michinoku Pro, and because it's Japanese tradition, our fans... Throw streamers into the ring. So many streamers, it's so fun to see. But as the action gets going, Hamada with a quick arm drag as Taka starts it off, then goes on an onslaught before holding Taka up as Yakasugi comes off the top with a double foot stomp. 
continuing with a slam and a leg drop for a two count before bringing in Suzaki, who pelts Taka with a bunch of kicks. Taka fights off a suplex and pummels Suzaki before tagging in Terry Boy, who delivers a snapmare, setting up an elbow drop by Taka, a somersault senton by Togo, and another elbow drop by Terry Boy. Taka hits Suzaki with a sidewalk slam, turning him over into a Boston Crab, before Terry Boy grabs a camel clutch and Togo delivers a low dropkick to the face. The timing of these guys is so fucking on point. Yeah. They're just, everybody's exactly where they need to be at every fucking moment, and so much shit's happening, but it all makes sense. It just, it's like, oh, everything that happens is logical, surprising, and well-timed. My God. BWO followed that up by nailing a senton splash with Yokoshuji running in to break up the cover. Taka tags in and attacks the throat of Yokoshuji, slamming him and tagging in Terry Boy, who scores some knee lifts and a stalling corkscrew suplex for a near fall. Togo tags in and launches Yakushuji off a whip, but Yakushuji retaliates with a Yurikurana before delivering a float over Lucha arm drag to send Togo to the floor. See, I noticed during this match the way that they say Hurikurana in ECW because he said it like Hurikurana or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> a Hurikurana. Yeah, it's like just the Joey Styles, you know, him, his. His, the New Jersey yeah. coming out. His New Jersey, New Japan. Huda Kanamana. Yugosuji backflips off the second rope to show off, so Taka rushes in after him and shoots him to the ropes, only to get sit to the floor with a tilt-a-whirl arm drag as well. Yeah. Now it's Hamada and Terry Boy in the ring where they exchange overhand chops until Hamada hits a big headbutt. Backflips away from a corner whip and catches Terry Boy with an arm bar takedown. Taka breaks it up and goes for a back body drop, with Hamada landing on his feet, only for Terry Boy to grab hold of him from behind, with Taka charging in, but Hamada ducks, causing Terry Boy to be knocked out to the floor. And I know we've seen Hamada before, but my god was I impressed with him in this match. Like, everybody here is doing an incredible job, but Hamada has an immediacy and, like, fervor, where it's like, his moves are, like, he moves quickly at the right time, and it always looks pretty fierce. Hamada takes Taka down with another armbar takedown, followed by giving him a back suplex, tagging in Suzaki for some double-team chops. And Suzaki then applies a body scissors chin lock, but Terry Boy breaks it up, followed by them having a cool rope-running sequence that ends with Suzaki cartwheeling into a crossbody for a two-count. Love to see it. Yokosuji and Taka tag in, with Yokosuji hitting a quick drop kick, but Taka brings him to his team's corner for some punishment. And have you guys noticed that this whole match has taken place inside of the ring? No schmas. This is the third match. First match, second, third match. All taking place inside of the ring. Somebody might get tossed to the floor for a second. Van Damme did his moonsault off of the steel, but... For the most part, it's taking place in the ring. And this is six men all staying inside of the ring for the most part. Terry Boy tags in and he continually tosses Yakasuji out to the floor and follows out. Only for Yakasuji to keep coming back in until he can finally outquick him. 
drop kicking Terry Boy off the apron to the floor and setting up a baseball slide into a head scissors takedown. Now Hamada and Togo run the ropes. You just put my foot in my mouth. Until Togo nails a <laughs> low drop kick. But Hamada comes back with a hurricanrana for a near fall as Taka breaks it up. Hamada then counters a vertical suplex into a small package for a two count before Taka gets triple teamed with chops to the back. Ah, it reminds me of my wonderful current-ish six-man tag team of Yoshihashi, Ishii, and Goto with the hammers to the back. Suzaki puts Taka into a half-crab, but he squirms to his feet and hits an enziguri, allowing Taka to whip Suzaki to a corner for a running forearm and a roundhouse kick. Togo and Terry Boy attack Suzaki's midsection and hit a double face buster before holding Suzaki up by his ankles with his head resting on the mat, with Taka hitting a running front dropkick to the gut. And they continue by putting Suzaki on the bottom of a cheerleading type pyramid to gloat. It's really fun. BWO. Followed by Taka and Terry Boy each putting a boot behind his head as Togo drills him with a stiff running front drop kick. I mean, this is an incredible spot. Like, two men on either side of a guy on his knees, and they each are holding one of his arms with their boot, sandwiching his head like it's in a vice grip, and then the other guy comes out, hits the rope, comes off with a fucking drop kick directly into his face. Basically, he gets a boot in every side of his head. It's great. It looks so fucking good. And so dangerous. A stalling vertical suplex gets a near fall for Togo before Terry Boy tags in and goes for the spinning toe hold. But Sasasuke kicks him off and whips Terry Boy, only to telegraph the back body drop, allowing Terry Boy to hit a swinging DDT. I love that as soon as he picks the legs, everybody starts doing the woo. Like he's going to put him in a figure four, but then he starts just cranking on the toe hold. Taka and Yakasuji match up with Taka delivering a brain buster for a two count. Perfect brain buster, by the way. They're not always perfect. This one's fucking perfect. (laughs) Followed by Terry Boyd tagging in to give Yakasuji a Hogan boot to set up a triple team maneuver where Terry Boyd begins to slingshot Yakasuji while Togo bounces off the ropes and drops him back with a clothesline. And as his whole torso is exposed, Terry Boyd keeps a hold of his feet so that Taka can leap off the top rope with a flying knee drop. My God. Togo takes his time making the cover, so it's only a near fall. But he follows it up with a body slam and a second rope somersault senton before bringing Terry Boy in for a back suplex for a two count. Taka goes after Hamada, giving him a back body drop and taking him into the BWO corner, where Taka and Togo team up for a spike pile driver. Yeah. Now Hamada rolls to the floor, so Yakasuji becomes the legal man with the BWO team delivering a triple-team powerbomb for a near-fall, with Sasaki making the save. So they try the same powerbomb on him, but they drop him momentarily, only to try for it anyways, allowing Sasaki to counter into a hurricanrana for a two-count. Now Sasaki sent to the ropes, ducking a double clothesline and springboard moonsaults onto Taka and Terry Boy for a near-fall, followed by nailing a cartwheel back elbow to send Togo to the floor. <laughs> Sasuke then hits an Asiai moonsault that lands himself in the first row. 
While inside the ring, Hamada nails Terry Boy with a clothesline and setting him on a turnbuckle for a Super Rana, only to be reversed into a Super Inverted Atomic Drop, <sighs> sending Hamada rolling to the floor, where Taka springboard planches atop him. Everybody is just so goddamn present. <laughs> Takasuji hits Terry Boy with a missile dropkick back in the ring for a two count, followed by a snap suplex and a second rope moonsault for a near fall. Terry Boy reverses a whip, allowing him to hit a swinging DDT and a choke slam power bomb for a two count. Choke slam power bomb. What the fuck? Shit's wild. Togo hops in the ring to nail Hamada with a power slam for a near fall, before whipping him to a corner, only to get his boots up on a charging Togo, allowing him to leap off the second rope with a swinging DDT for a two count. And Togo reverses a whip and catches Hamada going for a Rana, dropping him with a powerbomb for a near fall. He then heads up top, only for Sasuke to stop him, allowing Hamada to climb up for another Super Rana. Now Sasuke and Hamada decide to focus on Terry Boy outside, leaving Togo alone to receive a missile dropkick from Yakasuji that sends Togo outside, with Yakasuji following out with a tope suicida. Now back in the ring, Taka and Sasuke trade waist locks until Sasuke nails some kicks, allowing him to run the ropes, but he's caught with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex by Taka followed by a top rope missile drop kick to the back of the head <sighs> and the Mishinoku driver for a near fall as Yakasuji makes the save. Incredible stuff. Taka then dumps Yakasuji out to the floor and heads up top, coming off with a crossbody, only for Sasuke to meet him in midair with a drop kick, followed by a springboard moonsault for a two count. Jesus. Sasuke then nails a power bomb and a dragon suplex for the pin and, and the win. win. My God, fucking! Ooh. There's a standing ovation. It's extremely well deserved. I'm gonna say it. This is a fucking shortlist, brother. Uh, <laughs> yes. I mean, this is uh, everybody. Like, this is so. Similar to modern matches, but done so much more intelligently. Yeah. And everything seems like it means more. I don't know. Yeah, they all just flowed seamlessly, all six of them. Yeah, it was so so great. Ah, my God. <laughs> and the thing, with, the match was long as hell. And not, no, boring, for, not boring for a second. Mm-mm. I know, when I opened up the notes and saw... How detailed Matt was on it, I was thankful because you covered a whole lot of shit on it. Yeah, that, I was right, was basically right like, there with him. Holy shit! Yeah, I was kind of right there with him. I was like, damn, I my notes are pretty close to his. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I couldn't leave anything out. I, was I just don't. Like, yeah, I think I was that, like every time I wanted to leave something, I was like, uh, this moves fucking cool. This moves fucking. I was like, I mean, fuck. best six man match I think I've ever seen at this point in my life. I'll give it that. We go to Big Stevie Cool in the back, where he's brooding in black and white, saying he spent two and a half years ashamed of who he was, that he wasn't a man, that he had no dignity or respect, that he was abused by a man he idolized, but now he can rectify it and come out of his shell. 
Richards continues that it's his chance to shed the image of the person he was, saying that it was always the last one picked for sports and he could never get a date. I mean, come on. He's, we have Shawn Michaels at home. He's not as attractive as Shawn Michaels, but he's not an ugly guy. Stevie says it's not about the BWO or being big Stevie Cool. But tonight he steps into the ring to shed the image and become a man. And the picture turns to color. As Richard says, it's not about Raven. Tonight it's about me and win, lose, or draw. I will leave the ring with respect. I love that it, when it turns to color, he lifts his head and looks into the camera. We don't, we don't watch a whole lot of ECW television, so we don't really get these like vignette, like pre-taped promos. And this one, it's like, oh, they're fucking trying. Everybody's putting it in. The blue guy that enters the room... Oh, no. ...doing a Scott Hall imitation and telling Sandman and Funk that they are going to dance, but Stevie is going to lead. Because it's a three-way dance. Yeah. Uh, my issue with this whole thing is that he's talking about leaving Stevie cool. This isn't about the BWO. It's about me. It's this great, relatable babyface wrestling promo and then the blue guy shows up and like adds a cartoon element like right at the end of it it's like, we, he didn't need to be there yeah. didn't add anything to him i mean that was a good good line yeah 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 for sure yeah. i just think it's kind of undercut some of the impact it did undercut the promo a little yeah. bit we then go to our fourth match the franchise shane douglas yeah. with francine versus pitbull number two for the ECW World Television Championship. The champ came out first. Foreshadowing. Cut the music. With the trio of guys in riot gear leading the way. And Shane takes the mic to tell everyone that he returned to ECW to lead everyone to Nirvana. To the promised land of pay-per-view. And Douglas continues that people don't have to like him. Because he doesn't care. But they are looking at greatness. Before calling out the pussies from the other organizations. Because they weren't man enough to show up. The franchise says he set the tempo and put the extreme in ECW. Followed by saying he had four points about why he's so great. One. When he came back from cartoon land, he said he would win a title. Which he did. While breaking Pitbull number one's neck in the process. While Gary, we also see highlights Gary, of their encounter. Gary. Followed by also seeing number one sitting in the crowd with a neck brace on. Like just a, one of those rubber ones. That yeah, yeah. Not, he doesn't have the whole halo. Not the halo. Yeah, we're past that. Number two. Shane dealt with a mysterious masked man and it stops tonight. And we then see highlights of that masked man and say, and there's, a, I don't know if they ever actually say it, but there's a stipulation on the match that if Douglas wins, the masked man must reveal his face. Oh. Yes. Yeah, they did, did they say it before that. the match? Because I only think they said it after. I, I'm it trying to remember. Have, I, I was trying say, to, yeah. I, I remember hearing Joey say it. At some point, I don't remember Maybe if it was right it. as the match started or... Yeah, it happens. Well, the thing yeah. is, I was trying to write down the points as he made them, 
but they were a little long-winded, so they kind of like ran into each other. So I gave up and I was like, yeah. "Oh, Matt's got this." <laughs> Turns out you might have missed a thing, but it wasn't yeah. it wasn't co as coherent as far as you know. As soon rule as number one I personally is, only got three points, but I made it into four. Yeah, okay. As soon as they mentioned that one, that's when I spotted the mask man in the show. I'm like, okay, here we go. Oh, okay. Number three. He faced Pitbull number one in an I quit match, reducing him to a spectator as he re-injured the neck. So we get to see that highlight as well. And he is a spectator. And then number four. Franchise tells him to hit the music and bring him his opponent. And Pitbull 2 rushes the ring with chain in hand, with the two brawling away until number two hits a back body drop, a spinning wheel kick, and a clothesline. Break his neck. Break his neck. The two men trade headlocks and low blows until the Pitbull catches Shane for an inverted atomic drop and a clothesline for a two count. Douglas gets choked on the ropes before number two attempts a powerbomb, only for the franchise to counter it into a hurricanrana, but the Pitbull retaliates immediately with a clothesline. And number two again tries for a powerbomb, but Shane again counters into a hurricanrana that takes them out to the floor. And back inside, Douglas delivers a trio of pile drivers. Damn. Before choking the Pitbull on the ropes and nailing a snapmare dropkick to the net combo. And this is a very good match, but the crowd seems kind of dead and starts chanting, she has herpes. I'm like, come on, guys. I guess they may, might want to see the gangsters or something, <laughs> but I'm having a great time over here. The franchise continues the punishment with a stalling suplex and a camel clutch as he yells at number one in the crowd, calling him by his actual name. Gary. Gary Wolf. He says both names. Like, that's the disrespect. I know. Number two elbows his way free and hits a choke lift inverted atomic drop and a clothesline before whipping Shane to a corner where he leaps up and off the ropes, only to be caught by the pit bull and dumped over with a fallaway slam through the timekeeper's table. Fuck him up, pit bull. Fuck him up. Number two follows out to toss Douglas around some more, when number one would jump the railing to attack the franchise. Sit down, Gary. Only for the riot squad to hold him back. Who are these riot police? And take him to the locker room. And they uh, were not very gentle with him. No. They knocked off his neck brace in the process. <laughs> and you know, I had him in a headlock a time or two. It's like, perfect thing to do for a guy that you're supposed to be mm-hmm. safely escorting to the back with a neck injury. I have a feeling they're not professionals. No. Number two brings a section of guardrail as they make their way back into the ring standing it up and attempting to crotch Shane atop it, only for Douglas to flip out and try to do the same to the pit bull. But the railing gets knocked over, so number two just goes knee first into the steel. There is a thing where I'm like, this is a good and well-potted match, but the chemistry is a little off. Maybe they're nervous. Maybe uh, it's the crowd getting in my head. We'll talk more later. Yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Douglas works the midsection with headbutts before rolling the pit bull out to the floor and slamming the guardrail onto him from inside the ring. The franchise then rolls out and finally crotches him atop the railing, followed by a chair shot to the back. And it still doesn't look very good, the crotching, that is. Back inside, 
Shane with right hands, only for number two to start no-selling and firing back with right hands of his own. But Douglas stops the momentum with a knee lift and an elbow drop before heading to the top. The franchise leaps off only to be caught and perched right back on the turnbuckle, with the Pitbull wanting a superplex. But Shane shoves him off and leaps off again, only for number two to nail him with a drop kick in midair. They make their way to their feet only to both hit clotheslines at the same time for a double KO. But the Pitbull is up first to take over with strikes and a power slam for a two count. And number two keeps up the attack with a back elbow, a drop kick, and a press slam. But he's just tired and staggers into the ropes, allowing Francine to slip some brass knucks to Douglas. A pair of right hands is delivered to number two before Shane grabs a piece of table to break over the head of the pit bull for the near fall. The franchise grabs a chair and the ring bell to smash number two that only get two counts as well, followed by another piece of table for another near fall. And Shane gets whipped to a corner where the championship belt just happens to be hanging from. Who did it? Allowing him to grab it and nail the pit bull with it multiple times. Douglas then unties his boot and reaches for a small chain, which allows number two to recover as he sneaks up and delivers a pump handle slam for a two count. And the pit bull steals the chain from the boot to hit the franchise when Chris Candido would run out, only for number two to knock him off the apron. He eats the fist. Francine then climbs into the ring, but she retreats once the pit bull notices her allowing Shane to roll up number two for the pin. And no, no, Pitbull kicks out and hits a clothesline. Number two tries for another, only for Douglas to duck, grabbing the Pitbull for a belly-to-belly suplex for the pin. And, and no win. win. Post-match, a voice comes over the loudspeaker. It's howdy duty time, Shane Douglas, and a deal's a deal. I'll take the mask off, but you give up the girl, or I'll give you an ass-kicking of a lifetime. And a masked man makes his way down the aisleway, wearing a simply ravishing robe. Could it be? <laughs> Making his way in and laying a kiss on Francine. He plants one on her. So the franchise decks him with the title belt and tries to pull off the mask while a Riot Squad member has jumped into the ring, pulling his helmet off to reveal himself to be... Rick Rude! Everyone's going crazy, except for Shane, whose back is turned to these events, as he pulls the mask off the masked man to reveal Brian Lee? The bulldozer? Hmm. Previously primetime? One of the three members of Triple Threat? Uh-oh. Douglas then turns, only to receive a nightstick to the gut and a right hand from Rude, before being choke-slammed by Lee. The Ravishing One then gives a hip swivel for the crowd, while Candido, Francine, and the franchise can't believe their eyes. I mean, Francine, selling how horny she is for Rude. She keeps just, like, staring at him with glassy eyes and That's... gets pulled away. That's the part that cracked me up on it. So funny. She didn't kiss him, and after the mask came off, she knows she didn't kiss him, 
but then she still stands there all hypnotized, like touching her lips, like she can't let go of the kiss that she just had with Brian, Brian Lee. Lee. Yeah, Brian Lee. Wouldn't call him an ugly man, but he's not Rick Rude. No, he is not Rick Rude. <laughs> I also always thought Brian Lee was much bigger than Brian than Rick Rude. Well, the thing is, wrestlers used to be tall. And even here in 97, they're less tall than they used to be. Yeah, because Brian Lee, <laughs> I know The Undertaker is taller than Rick Rude. Exactly. And Brian Lee was the, fake the Undertaker. So, yeah. I don't know, maybe he wore... That's why I was just he must have had he must have boots on big <laughs> boots on, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, well, now everybody's five ten. So we see Raven backstage, just like everyone else, doing a little brooding. I mean, they this really feels like a very brooding show. They really dole out the major promos very well. Mm-hmm. But he says the entire world is tuned in to see the greatest hardcore legend defeat the same man and Richards. But 90% of those fans will see a bitter shell of a has-been, wanting to see him gain the most prized trophy in all the land, cheering him as he vanquishes his nemesis. The Raven continues that the other 10% will rage against the machine and the powers that be, as they're martyrs of dysfunctional society. These are the fans that want to see Raven win. So quote the Raven, nevermore. And it goes on way longer than that. But Matt hit the hit the important parts. Very funny that he says Rage Against the Machine, which is a thing before it was a band name. We know that's what he's talking about. Fight the powers that be, which is obviously... The powers that be. Yeah, fucking Fear of a Black Planet. Why can't I remember the name of the group? Chuck D. Why did my brain just... Chuck D and Flava Flav. We're all dying right now. It's so funny. Because we all know... We know exactly what you're trying to say, and we, none of us can yeah, think of it. Yeah, my brain just keeps thinking Arrested Because we said it. But it's They're not... probably yelling at us right now. Absolutely. Yeah. This is that thing where you, when you listen to a podcast and you're like, guys, that's uh, the, the answer is... Uh, you know. Living Color. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's called Sports yeah. yeah, yeah. Jay knows. It was a joke. It was a very good joke. It's um, uh, Public Enemy. There we go. Uh, yeah, which is, makes it extra funny because we had a, 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 a white show. a white tag team called that. But and then We're an ECW and then, show, but that was the team I hated. So, <laughs> but it adds insult to injury for my personal grievances towards Raven as he's saying all of these things, but well, comes, comes out, out of the to spring. <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't do it. Yeah. Come on. We then go to Taz and Bill Alfonso in the back. Where the human suplex machine tells Sabu the time for talking is over. He has waited his whole life for a match and an opponent like him. Taz says they hate each other, but he wouldn't want it any other way. Because Sabu will bring out his fire and both men will go through hell. And that he loves it. Fonzie then lists the human suplex machine's victims as we're shown clips of Taz choking them all out. Bam, bam. Oh shit, I can't read my own handwriting. Paul Varlins. <laughs> Is 911 on there? This this note looks like hairspray, but I don't know. Like It looks like I wrote hairspray down. The human suplex <laughs> machine then chimes in that he did it because he wants to, but also because Alfonso put money on it, finishing by promising to choke out Sabu, telling him, if I was you, I wouldn't be. Yeah, which is like, I wouldn't, Matt. 
That's way better. <laughs> right. I wouldn't be. It's like if if yeah, if I were you, I I wouldn't be. Is that a? I get what he's saying. Yeah, but it's not a good. It's movie. not, and like the promo is mostly good, but you know, it was the best part of the promo was that Alfonso stood in the back and didn't blow his whistle. Didn't blow his whistle. I mean, we'll notice in this match, whistle way down, mm-hmm. way less whistle because. You know why? It's not about the whistle. Because Taz is kind of the face now. Mm-hmm. So we go to our fifth match. Yeah. Taz with Bill Alfonso and Team Taz versus Sabu in the grudge match of the century. I mean, this is a legitimately a co-headlining match. Yeah. They could have sold the pay-per-view with just this match. Oh, yeah. I mean, they kind of did. They Yeah, they, they did, but like they this... also did the thing where it's like, Terry Funk's in the fucking main event. Well, that's the thing. And I was Terry Funk say means is... more here today, outside of Japan. Terry Funk means more in the twenty nine hundred arena than he does anywhere else. Terry Funk wasn't in the main event when they announced it. Yes, but he is now, and that's why it's it's so, top. Yeah, so I don't yeah, think yeah. they I don't think they sold it on Terry Funk being. No, no, show. no. But like they did the right thing in putting Terry Funk last. So the two men have a stare down before trading slaps when the human suplex machine hits a clothesline that sends the homicidal one out to the floor to regroup. Back in, Sabu reverses a whip and drops down, only for Taz to hit the brakes and attempt to lock on the Taz mission. But the homicidal one blocks and counters into an arm drag. They exchange mat holds before the human suplex machine nails several cross-face blows that ends up breaking Sabu's nose. Busting him open. Yes. I mean, whew. I mean, I'm getting energy from like Ken Shamrock <laughs> blasting open uh, Vernon White. It's like, oh, yeah. My thought went to the match here just a few years back with Lesnar and Orton. Oh. It's just, I'm going to hold you down and I'm just going to punch your head until you start bleeding. Yeah. The uh, early Taz mission attempt, perfect. Mm-hmm. Also, Sabu legitimately had to have broke his nose because he is oh, out. Yeah, he did. You know, you know how when somebody has a concussion, their eyes turn into fish and or chicken eyes? He is no longer human for at least 60 seconds. The homicidal one retaliates with a drop kick to the knee and a slingshot leg lariat to send Taz outside to regroup. Where Sabu hits a baseball slide that sends the human suplex machine into the front row. Followed by a triple jump plancha from the homicidal one out onto him. The two brawl in the crowd until Sabu goes for air Sabu, only to miss and land on the railing. Followed by a Taz clothesline to knock him back to ringside. Ouch. Love to see it. Back in the ring, the human suplex machine works at bow and arrow until they start brawling from their knees. When Taz locks on a body scissors armbar, forcing the homicidal one to make the ropes to break it. I love a knee brawl. Sabu nails an enziguri in a springboard somersault leg drop, brings a chair in and hurls it at the human suplex machine in a corner. Damn. Followed by an air Sabu. The homicidal one tries for a second one, only for Taz to move and hot shot Sabu onto the chair for a two count. Damn. The human suplex machine hits a clothesline and a sidewalk slam, but Sabu responds by pulling Taz through the ropes by his tights. 
setting up a chair and going for a triple jump plancha, only for the human suplex machine to move, causing the homicidal one to hit the guardrail. Joe, Joe, Joe. <laughs> Taz delivers an overhead belly-to-belly suplex that sends Sabu into the crowd, before rolling back into the ring, while Team Taz sets up a table that bridges the apron and the railing. And as the human suplex machine is directing them, the homicidal one is able to recover, knocking Taz out onto the table before starting a triple jump something that he stops. <laughs> it was probably supposed to be a DDT through the table, but the human suplex machine hadn't gotten to his feet yet out on the table. So the two men end up fighting on the apron, with Sabu then trying for a swinging DDT, only for Taz to hold onto the ropes Sending the homicidal one to fall through the table. Love it. He broke the guy's nose, and then Sabu takes the lone man fall through the table without the cushion of a Taz that's 80% midsection. The two brawl around ringside before heading back in, where Sabu attacks the shoulder of the human suplex machine, followed by setting Taz on the top turnbuckle for a super rana that gets an earfall. The homicidal one goes back up top for a leg drop. Huge leg drop. Before the two trade strikes once more. Until the human suplex machine nails a side head and arms Tazplex and a headlock Tazplex. But he's not able to capitalize as Sabu fights back with a pump handle suplex of his own. Mocking Taz. Only for the human suplex machine to get right up and try for a clothesline. Which the homicidal one ducks... And he locks on a Sabu mission. Ah, Kaja Hajime. Taz frees himself with a back suplex and delivers a T-bone suplex before <laughs> applying the Taz mission with the ref raising the homicidal one's arm once, twice, three, three times. times. Ding, ding, ding. Calls for the stoppage and the win. So post-match... Damage Control comes out to check on Sabu, but he rises to his feet, all confused. So the human suplex machine grabs a mic to let him know that he got choked out. But he continues that the homicidal one gave him the fight of his life. But a few friends seem to disagree, so the human suplex machine just tells them to shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Taz then tells Sabu he has respect for him. And he can have a rematch anytime he wants before offering a handshake. Which the homicidal one accepts, raising the human suplex machine arm in victory and hugging him. Rob Van Dam then runs down and attacks Taz from behind, with Sabu questioning what he's doing, allowing the human suplex machine to grab RVD, but the homicidal one nails Taz with a right hand. And the two men start attacking the human suplex machine with drop kicks, leg drops, Arabian face busters, before putting Taz through a table with a triple jump elbow drop. The Sabu mission is locked on again as Fonzie is just standing there watching on, doing nothing. But he enters the ring as RVD and the homicidal one celebrate. And Alfonso takes his orange dress shirt off. No. Like he's getting ready for a fight. What but he then thinking? he takes his Team Taz shirt off 
to reveal a Sabu shirt underneath it all. Boom. And raises the two men's hands. My God. Fonzie takes the mic to say he owns the human suplex machine, teaching him everything he knows. But he lost money tonight. And Taz threatens Fonzie only for Bill to retreat behind Van Dam, who takes the mic to say he's a pay-per-view superstar. And if any promoters want him, just call Alfonso. <laughs> and that he even loves to work Mondays. Bum, bum, bum. I mean, we just recently saw a pretty great double turn. Here it is. Taz was getting more cheers as the heel for a long amount of time. Same with, like, he built to it, just like Steve Austin did. Pretty similar. I mean, I wouldn't put either of these guys on a Brett or Austin level, but they are Brett or Austin level for for what ECW is. And, yeah, pretty great fucking stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was... I knew it was going to be a good match because they had been building it for so long, but there's also that... What if Sabu is Sabu and something goes wrong? Sabu, fucking, what a champ. Mm -hmm. He takes that fucking nose break a minute and a half into the match, maybe less, and there's like one spot and it's not even his fault and he makes the right choice. Everybody is like, their brain is vibrating and they're more hyper aware of what's happening. It's not just another night at work. This is a pay-per-view. So Joey shows us some replays of what just happened before welcoming in a guest commentator for the next match in Tommy Dreamer, who brings along Beulah, causing the fans to chant, Show your tits! Show your tits! So Tommy was originally supposed to be in the main event, but he stepped aside so that Terry Funk could have a chance, even promising to not interfere. Well, I mean, we had that match where, with him and Terry tag-teaming. Yeah. That Funk got taken out, and then Sandman came down, and it was Sandman and... That's right. And Tommy Dreamer actually won the match. Yeah, yeah. And it was, like, for the thing, and it's like Tommy was... Or for the uh, number one contendership or whatever. I guess Stevie kind of helped it a little bit as well, so maybe yeah. that's how they got to this. But, yeah, but it's like, well, Tommy wanted didn't want to take the glory. Terry Funk wanted to give it to him. It was a... Uh, Honestly, pretty like relatable and enjoyable storytelling, even even if a bit sloppy. Yeah. So we go to our sixth match. Big Stevie Cool with the BWO of the Blue Guy, Hollywood Nova, 7-Eleven, and Thomas Rodman. Wait, I didn't catch Thomas Rodman. Tom Inchworm Rodman. Oh, yes. They call him the Inchworm, which is maybe the best, like... Rodman, he's Dennis Rodman. He doesn't even need a nickname, but they call him the fucking worm. The worm is like the coolest fucking nickname ever <laughs> for a professional basketball, football, baseball player. It doesn't matter. Wrestling dance move. <laughs> versus the Sandman versus Terry Funk in a three-way dance to become the number one contender for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. And I didn't realize that that meant right after this. 
Yeah. They, yeah, that's what they usually do. Yeah, it is. It is. I and was hoping like, with Raven being back and healthy that they were actually going to have him wrestle real matches. And yeah, I was I was disappointed to hear that they were going to be rolling right into this because you know the three of these guys are going to just rip each other's fucking well, you, heads off. You also yeah you know that Raven has a much higher percentage chance of winning, mm-hmm. but you also know that if he loses, it's even more impactful because these guys are obviously about to go through absolute hell. Mm-hmm. And just to point out my disappointment earlier, Stevie Richards should have came out by himself. Yes. Because it's not about he doesn't, the he blue d- world order. Like he does like he should have came out like shirtless or with just only blue tank top. But the BDBO coming out with him, it's like it's just undercutting really good promo. He's like just let him be out there a man alone and I think it would have plussed it up a little bit. But that being said, it doesn't take away from what's about to happen. Yeah. So Sandman has busted himself open on his way to the ring with Bye. smashing of the beer can on his head. He does it three whole times. And I must say, it's so much better when you can actually hear Metallica and the crowd sing along to Metallica. Mm-hmm. And it's just not some, you know, generic, duty-free music. So everyone starts it off with chops, strikes, even a triple headlock. Until Terry pushes Sandman into a Richard schoolboy for a two count. Followed by a clothesline attempt from Sandman to Stevie, which is ducked. So Sandman gets decked by Funk, who goes for a spinning toehold, only to be hit by Big Stevie Cool with a forearm. Honestly doing a pretty good job for an almost senior citizen. A young man who's talented and... uh, The Sandman. The Sandman. And yeah, and yeah. And... (laughs) Basically a turd with a wife beater on. Yeah, the guy that just, you know, yeah, down three beers on his way to the ring. Oh, yeah, and another thing, Terry coming out to Desperado, which we, you, I normally would, but here, like, this is, it feel, like, every Terry Funk match in ECW feels like it could be the last Terry Funk match, and it never is, but this one... Feels almost like the last chance for the belt. Like he's gonna be out he had actually fences. announced that this was going to be his last year in wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I, I spoiler knew alert, he probably not, had a match this year. Terry Funk is having a fucking match in heaven. He will never stop. Yep. Nothing can stop him. Uh, whether the afterlife is real or not, Terry Funk is unstoppable. But it's kind of sweet. For him to come out to Desperado as this old man that fucking chews shoe leather and won't give up. I don't even like the Eagles that much, man. Richard and Sandman take turns dropping elbows on Terry, followed by Sandman picking up Stevie for a leg drop on Funk for a near fall. And Big Stevie Cool says, hey, let's do that again. But Sandman turns on him, dropping Richards with a back suplex. Sandman then heads off down the aisleway to the back while Terry hits four hangman neckbreakers on Stevie. Where did he go? For a two count. And does a hangman neckbreaker just mean you do it slow, more slowly? Pretty much. Okay, just checking. It looks cool. Sandman emerges with a ladder and throws it into the ring right at Funk, nailing him atop the head. Ah, yeah, he did. <laughs> he, ah. Sandman continues with ladder suplexes onto Big Stevie Cool. Does the same to Terry for a near fall, then sets the ladder up near a corner before hitting a DDT 
on Richards. And Sandman climbs the ladder, but Funk meets him at the top with fists before leaping off with a moonsault onto Stevie. Almost breaking his goddamn neck. Yeah, that was a really, really bad, really, really foolish moonsault. It's it's 1997, Mm -hmm. and I would be afraid... Stevie saved his life. Yeah, I would be afraid to see uh, Jeff Hardy do that in 1997. And he's not even a name anybody knows at the time. But, like, he's probably 19 and as healthy as he'll ever be. But, like, there's just no leverage or space. Mm-mm. He's on, like, the third rung. There's no need for him to do it. It's so scary. Salmon then leaps off the top with ladder in hand to smash atop Big Stevie Cool before leveling Terry with left hands. Sandman returns his attention to Richards to body slam him atop the ladder for a two count. Goes to pick it up, but Stevie drop kicks the ladder into Sandman's head for an airfall. Wonderful sell by Sandy. Sandman then puts the ladder in a corner, but his whip is reversed, sending him right into the steel, allowing Big Stevie Cool to get a two count, followed by a body slam of Funk for a near fall. Richards and Sandman then team up for an elbow drop, low blow combo to Terry, followed by the Sandman climbing the ladder in the center of the ring, where Stevie meets him to trade strikes, only for Funk to back into the ladder, sending them flying into the ropes. I hate that they're climbing the ladder to exchange punches in a match where there's nothing hanging above the ring. It's so silly. It doesn't need to be here. Yeah, especially when... You can use the ladder. The you other can't s- have them coming flying off into the ropes, then. Yeah. Uh, you don't. You can have the ladder, but they don't have to exchange... I don't. You don't need the ladder. I was waiting for the Sandman half of the ladder to break because he was oh, on the side yeah. that didn't really have steps, and he's a bigger dude. Yeah, so. he's on the, it's really bending, and it's scary, <laughs> but like Stevie gets on there just in time to... Like, Plus, have, if you don't have the ladder, you don't get this next spot. I know. I know about the spots. I want... I want, like, I want to be tricked into thinking it's real, Matt. That's my thing. Terry puts the ladder on his shoulders and begins to airplane spin around, nailing both of his opponents multiple times before setting the ladder on the ropes to brawl with the Sandman. And that's the thing where it's like, well, when Terry Funk does an airplane spin with a ladder, I'm a little less angry. Big Stevie Cool then leaps off a turnbuckle to seesaw the ladder into the face of his opponents, followed up with Stevie kicks to both for near falls. I know, the Stevie kick fucking BWO chants out the ass, everybody's stoked. Stevie is the favorite with the exception of, you know, all three of these guys are pretty well loved in this building. Terry Funk's the legend, but Stevie is the, uh, the slow burn. The underdog. The slow burn underdog. You remember when he had a cage match with fucking Luna Vachon? And it was good. <laughs> the match spills out to the floor with Sandman throwing Richards into the crowd, setting the ladder against the guardrail before going back into the ring, only to leap out to hit the ladder for another seesaw into Stevie's face. That one over the steel. Funk with chair shots to everybody before Sandman heads down the aisleway once again for more weaponry. And Terry brings Richards back in the ring for a corkscrew vertical suplex. He goes for a cover, but Sandman then throws a trash can into the ring that hits Funk in the head. Nasty sound. Yes. It's so gross. And the trash can looks like 
different and weird. it's wrapped with sheet metal. But it's on the inside. There was some on the outside as yes. well. Oh, okay. Yeah, but then there's the sheet metal on the inside, and like, that's why it sounds incredible. Yeah, and later in the match, I cringe at a certain spot because yeah. I was waiting for somebody's mm. head to be sliced off by falling <sighs> inappropriately. I mean, yeah, that sheet metal, it's like, that. the edge on that is no good. Mm. Sandman suplexes Stevie onto the can, with Terry making a cover for a two count, before teaming up with Sandman to deliver a spike pile driver to Big Stevie Cool. Crazy. Sandman and Terry shouldn't be teaming up. Not on the little guy. Sandman then sets the ladder on Richards and hits a somersault leg drop, with Funk again making the cover for a near fall. Sandman sets the ladder on the ropes for another seesaw, but it doesn't connect, so the ladder goes flying towards the crowd. I know. It blew my mind when they did the one over the steel. I was like, there's crowd members, like... They backed up or whatever, but something could happen. It, they could hit the edge of it, and yeah. it like fucking barrel rolls into the crowd. And this one, it flew out of the ring, and then fans' attention is completely diverted to right out, you know, to the right of the uh, hard cam. And I was just thinking, like, oh well, somebody got cracked in the head with yeah. that, and is out. They had a bad night. But I don't know for sure. Terry throws a chair at say a man on the outside, allowing him to make another cover for a two count. But then they team up for a powerbomb of Stevie, with both making the cover for the pin. Boo! Big Stevie Cool is eliminated. I mean, the thing is, Stevie doesn't lose anything in losing this match. And he gains, I don't know if it's a lot, but he he gains something that's significant. Yeah. Bullshit. So our remaining competitors shake hands, but immediately start trading strikes until Funk backbody drops Sandman out to the floor. And they make their way around ringside, where Sandman finds some barbed wire, which happens to be all tangled up with the streamers from earlier in the evening. Damn crepe paper. Yeah, see, I was trying to figure out what the hell he was grabbing. Me too. He's going to bring streamers in to choke him out. Okay, cool. And then, yeah, Yeah. that's when I heard them talking about barbed wire. That's where the... uh, Officials had to pull it down real fast and put it under the ring. Back in the ring, Terry with a trash can shot, followed by pulling Sandman's shirt over his head, hockey style, to throw punches, and hey, whipping man. his back with the wire. Yeah, that hurt. Oof. Where it literally caught on his skin a couple times. Yep, that hurt. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, Terry gets that big rip on, like, basically right above the love handle. Sandman is able to stop the punishment with a piece of sheet metal, wrapping himself with the barbed wire for an avalanche attack onto Funk before going up top for a leg drop. For the pin, and no, no. Terry kicks out. That uh, jump there made me nervous because you got Sandman wrapped in barbed wire that part of it is going up around his neck or something, Uh. and I was, again... Waiting for somebody's head to be sliced off with him taking one of his jankity jumps off the top rope and yeah. getting caught on something and either yep. slicing himself, cutting well, his throat, something. Sandman is the, you guys have all heard the uh, the saying, 10 pounds of shit in a 5 pound bag. Mm-hmm. Sandman is 10 pounds of shit in a 5 pound bag. It's the way he moves. Like, I'm not calling him a piece of shit, I'm just saying that he... He moves, he, like, he moves, he moves like somebody that's heavier than he actually is. He is not agile at all. And uh, I wrote that he hit one of his patented 
leg drops off the top, worst leg drop in the top, in the history of professional wrestling. Okay. Legitimately, I am not a uh, athlete, but I think I could drop a better leg drop, and I feel the same for you boys. But I'm not bleeding like Sandman is either. Big Stevie Cool has returned and is up on the apron, only for the Sandman to give him a barbed wire hug. But the distraction allows Funk to capitalize with a trash can shot over the head of Sandman. Terry then places the trash can over the head of Sandman when Richards would jump in the ring to deliver a Stevie kick, followed by a Funk moonsault for the pin. And the win. I just gotta say this. Terry's moonsault is uh, somehow he falls ass first onto Sandman in his moonsault. I don't understand the physics. He like does a moonsault and like a barrel roll senton just flop. It's Pretty funny. I'm just glad that it was ass first and not head first. Well, he's probably thinking Sandman will do like fun. Stevie did. I almost broke my leg on the last one. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he should be afraid because that other one was very scary. Mm-hmm. This one's from a... Uh, he's got a little more leverage this time, but yeah, somehow his body would not allow him to go for it. And he does... Yeah, I don't even know if science could explain it. It's a post-match. Raven runs out, and we're on to our... Seventh match, Terry Funk versus Raven for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Raven doesn't waste his time. He attacks with a belt shot, setting a chair up in the ring, only to drop toe hold Terry onto it. Damn. Followed by a chair shot over the head, which has busted Funk wide open. He's bleeding. And the ref calls for a doctor to check on Terry, which... Supposedly, the only reason, the only way the pay-per-view companies would allow them to run this show is if they would have a doctor at ringside. Uh, so they use that in this match. Might as well. I mean, it's Terry Funk after a brutal yeah. match. But as the doctor's checking on him, on Terry, Raven continues to attack with stomps and right hands before setting up a table on the floor dragging Funk out to suplex the table onto him. And Raven resets the table and lays Terry on it before climbing up to leap over the ropes, sending them both crashing through. Can you, uh, have you ever seen Raven move as much? Nope. Also, I guess Tommy's been on commentary, but Tommy doesn't really say anything on commentary. He's very quiet. Yeah, he, he basically, every time Joey asks him something, he's just like, I got man, watch. man, I, I have to. I, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I just have to focus on this. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, it's like, well, you're just not good at this. That's he's, fine. He's my idol, man. He, I should be in there right now. He's getting beat up because I'm not there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. So the doctor continues to try and check on Funk, even at one point, like trying to stop the match. But Raven just decks him and calls out the new nest because it's a bunch of him. bunch of people that I. Look like they were in biker gear. Biker gear. Yeah, there's a very um, no clue really what who it is. One of them's a large Woman? female. Yeah. Most of them start setting up a stack of tables right underneath the broadcast position, which is weird because I didn't catch that until the spot happens later. Yeah. Yes, while a female who Joey calls Reggie Bennett 
And I looked her up. She's basically been in All Japan. She did some matches. Okay, so that there. is her name. Yeah. Okay, okay. and All Japan um, was like she was prime. actually a f- friend with Terry Funk's. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Doesn't really ever do anything else in in America other than this. Yeah, she was like part of the end of uh, like she was towards the showed up in all japan probably towards the end of like the basically what's the height of women's wrestling just in general she rolls in the ring to smash a chair across terry's back followed by power bombing him pretty wild also i mean terry is really dripping before all this happens he is like rolling around covered in blood he looks like ian holm in alien you know when when uh, yeah Ripley starts fucking him up and like he like after he tries to jam the magazine in her mouth, which is one of the weirdest scenes in any movie ever. Uh, but yeah, he is just like spurting blood and spinning in circles, unaware of where he is. Raven grabs the mic and tells Tommy that he's going to end Funk's career Tommy, by dropping Tommy. him off the balcony through the tables, which just pisses Dreamer off, who starts motioning for Raven. To come get some. That's right. He ripped the the little thing out of the wall and everything. The little cord. Oh, yeah. Chain. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the hell mm-hmm. it's called. It's not a rope. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. All of a sudden, Big Dick Dudley attacks Tommy from behind with a trash can. I do love the reveal. It's very, um, like, low-budget horror movie. Where he just, like, walks out from the corner. <laughs> Here I am. Yeah. Who style says he just got out of jail. As Raven DDTs the ref inside the ring, Big Dick then attempts a choke slam of Tommy, only for Dreamer to counter and deliver his own choke slam, sending Dudley through the stack of tables below the balcony. Because because it was a dark, it's not well lit. I thought it was one table, and then I saw him just like tumble through it like fucking falling Jenga. Also, Tommy did not choke slam. Him. No, no, Tommy. Like, him. tried to, and then, like, kind of freaked out near the edge and, like, pushed him, and Dudley basically took the bump on his own. Yeah, that's what you call a big dick to go. <laughs> <laughs> Wrap him up. That's a condom. <laughs> Raven waits for Tommy to make his way to the ring, all with Terry laying in a pool of his blood. Oh, no. And Raven reverses a whip, but Dreamer catches him with a swinging DDT. Allowing Funk to make the cover for the pin. And no, Raven kicks out. But the bell rings anyway. <laughs> I mean, fans are going nuts. Yep. Raven fights back and goes for a vertical suplex. Only for Terry to cradle up Raven for the pin. And, and the win. And no. Post match. Funk and Tommy celebrate with fans as Joey says his goodbyes and we fade to black. And it's a good thing we did because the building lost power mere seconds after they went off. <laughs> oh the my god. How awful would have that been? Yeah, how awful would it have been if it had gone out as Big Dick was falling? Oh wow. I would have thought, he's I'm dead. dead, I'm dying. He's dead. <laughs> huh. I mean, they were running real close to their three hour mark as well. Yeah. They had but that then three hour battery. But then the power <laughs> actually goes off as well and there's like well, yeah, was everybody in the back's going oh. yeah. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of barely legal nineteen 
97. It's a good show. It's a, an incredible amount of promo. But the ma- all the matches meant something. It's all, quote-unquote, major talent for ECW. There's no gangsters. There's no trash matches. I think this is what ECW should look like all the time. The issue with that is that there's way fewer matches on here, and these are all people that they've built for a long time. Like, Lance Storm is the least important person on this entire show. And it's not because he's a bad wrestler, but it's because he's new to the company. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't mean much. Like, we've, this is such a... They knew that this was their first pay-per-view, and they did the f- right thing. Not necessarily the right thing for the people in the arena, even, because I think that the crowd kind of stunk in some spots on this show. Mm-hmm. But it's the right thing to do for a new audience. Hopefully that first per- that person that's tuning in to ECW for the yeah. first time on pay-per-view. And like, mm-hmm. they exp- like the... There's a lot of promo, but like the promo all explains exactly who that person is. Mm-hmm. Some are stronger than others, but none of them are weak. I'm looking at you, Taz. You might have the weakest of them. But none of them were bad by any means. And uh, it was just... If he was looking at you, he wouldn't be. <laughs> it was just <laughs> such a fucking nice show. The Dudleys fucking jobbed to the Eliminators in a spot fest. On the first match, they knew how important it was, and we all know that Bubba Ray goes on to be kind of the most cantankerous shithead, <laughs> and not not the most, but he's just like he's just. We've all heard what was his name in TNA. What's Bully his name? Ray. Yeah, we've all heard Bully Ray talk too much, but uh, here he even knew he it was. Shuts up. Yeah, even here he knew it was the right thing to do. But zero, really zero complaints. I Terry didn't win it alone, but he shouldn't have. No, it's a uh, the show. All in all, is start to finish. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, this is it's great. Hands down, my favorite ECW show that we've watched. I'm there with you. And it could be that they got all their shit and gear ahead of time it could be that the ones that we've watched in the past i know there are ones that are put together storyline wise by paul Heyman, but or Polly dangerously no but a lot of the stuff that we watched were spliced together or put together by fans or whoever the hell it was that were putting them together so maybe we just didn't have the full-on vision of it all no this is the difference between an open mic and like curated comedy show or like a a tour a band touring and then two locals open or a band touring and bringing two of their like two bands that they like respect and like on tour to use your band analogy yeah this what it feels like is ecw's been on tour yeah for a while and now they're They're tight they're playing their songs they're getting better every night they've gotten better inch by inch and they figured out what songs the fans want to see and they figured and out here. They figured out how to perform. And those are the things that they put on this show. They put in the ten thousand hours, and they knew what was. They knew they. It proves that they always knew what was good, and what 
uh, people wanted, what like the general audience wanted to see, mm-hmm. as opposed to feeding their niche audience, which they've been doing most of the time, or it'll be like 50-50, or sometimes, most of the time, 70-30. And that could be why the To feeding to their hometown audience. But they're feeding to, a like, this is their shot. This is their chance to shine, and they did the right thing, which I was so curious if they would do the right thing, and I don't know if they could have done anything any better and still be ECW. And that could be why the audience was reacting differently on this show than they did have on previous ones, because... They're more used to bullshit. Yeah. They, they have they to make noise to get fans. through the... Seeing yeah. the... Eliminators come down for the fourth time of the night. It's like or... we got hat guy, we got long hair guy, we got those ECW guys that are probably the smart fans, but you also have these people that are selling it out constantly as wrestling gets bigger who are new to the thing, who don't know who Terry Funk is, but they see that everybody cares about this guy, Terry Funk. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smark it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Best six-man tag of all time. Yes. Yep. Grand Hamada. Total elimination right off the bat. Uh, First thing uh, we see. Total I mean, elimination off the bat. Total elimi- elimination on Gertner. Yep. And Gertner's, uh, oh my god, the poor <laughs> Total man. elimination on Bubba Ray to win the belt. Yep. Yeah, and Bubba Ray took it, not Devon. It was nice to see. The promos, only squash match. Yeah, the pro, the promos were great. Great. They gave you an insight into each one of those wrestlers yeah. to build up the main event as it's a big deal. Yeah, and my only complaint would be that I've watched so much ECW that most of it wasn't anything new, but I knew what they were doing, and I was happy that they did it because they did the, like they did the right thing. Who does the right thing? Not just Rick Rude, but face Rick Rude? Has that ever been a thing? I don't remember a face Rick Rude. Yeah. So No. That nope. that can go nope, for his face and Flair Flair is the face. Yeah. It would have happened. That can, that can be yeah. both best moment and surprising because that's I don't know if I ever thought I would see a Rick Flair or Rick Flair. Rick Rude as the good guy. What about this would have been really fun. Rick Rude doesn't get hurt. Rick Rude. Well, I mean, honestly, if he didn't get hurt, he probably would have become a champion in WCW at some point. Yeah. I because mean, he was he, champion in WCW. Yeah, but I mean, like, he would have, I think he would have been a dom, a pot- potentially dominant champion. I wonder if they would have brought in Hogan if Rude doesn't get hurt. Exactly. That's what I was, that's what I was getting at, uh, was like, would they even bother? Because Rude was, he'd been great for so long, but he was basically becoming untouchable he was becoming we watched steve austin slowly become steve austin rick rude was always rick rude but he was about to be i think something better agreed what's the worst match on the show i guess the squash match but who cares because it's so full of yeah, incredible spots i think it's shane and pitbull since I mean, that's the one that was shining. And here, here's my reasoning. No, because I, I've my reasoning talked about it. Is in match. we've seen this match too many times, a few too many times, yeah. which I think is part of the reason why the crowd wasn't into it. Yeah, 
because they basically the ending is something that we've also seen yeah multiple times mm -hmm. if this had been the first time we had seen that schmage ending if they held it off then maybe we're like okay well the thing is the schmaz ending is like how many more times are we going to do it but we just like we kind of need Shane and the Pitbulls to separate, get away from each other at yes. this point, because oh. they they've had way too many matches. And the thing is, like they started to pull the trigger on Pitbull too, but I don't think they're going to. They're never going to pull, which is a, such a shame. Like if they were going to pull the, it would have been. It, it should have been, been this show. Yeah, but it should have been because also then, six months ago at the same time. Mean, you could have mean. I mean, but it was this, this was their last chance. Yeah, it was, was absolutely, last absolutely the last chance. Yeah. Because then you could have just moved Shane up to the the heavyweight title picture. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, though. Is I mean, as much as we've been cheerleading for Pitbull too, it had I'm its trying moment. To think, well, I'm it's just very... trying to think of him. What other matches he's had where we've been raving about him, where he wasn't in a match with Shane Douglas? Um, he, I mean, that's basically he had matches. The only he match had matches with those other large men that came in that I was a big fan of, the big strong boys. No, I can't think the of the Fawn and Furnace. Well, no, no, Fawn and Furnace. They only faced. But the uh, yeah. who who are the the singles guys? That's what I'm trying. There to was remember. a Fawn Furnace. There was that guy with the fucking blonde hair who was large and tossed people around. <laughs> and I can't remember his name. His name was like. John Smith or something. Oh, are you talking? Wait, no. You know, a, a, it's like, like David uh, Boy yeah. Smith's no, cousin. No, no, no. A few years, like within probably ninety seven, ninety six, there was some ECW guys that showed up and did big boy shit, and it was nice. Are you talking a dude that had his match with Sabu? Yeah, they all kind of like got matches with. What? Real I guys that didn't stick around, and it just felt like they probably just went off to like. Or is he already in WCW Japan or something? The they were kind of they were Scott Orton esque. There was a couple of them, not Scott Orton, Scott Norton. I'm, I apologize, but I can't think of his damn name. Either way, the remember when Pitbull Two was the biggest babyface on the show? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was too long ago, and uh, also that match. The chemistry was a little off. It kind of had some stutters. And I'm not opposed to a botch by any means. I think that they add to wrestling matches sometimes if the people in the match are smart enough to capitalize on them. I mean, Jericho and Pitbull had some matches. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of other guys that maybe Pitbull didn't fight that I also liked that they could have... Pitbull could have ran through them, and it would have maybe pushed him further. I don't know, but most everything else is tag team stuff before that. But you are right; that is the most played out match on the show because nothing else is played out. Yeah, everything else is like if it's not fresh, it's been built to and anticipated. Yeah. Whereas Shane and Pitbull too. Seems like a once a month thing at this point. Louis once a month. Spicoli. God, Louis Spicoli. That was driving me crazy. I love Spicoli. But Spicoli's not here anymore. Yeah. How about most disappointing? I don't really. There's not too much disappointment in this show for me. I mean, this is. I mean, for me, it is it, it is the ending of, of Shane and Pitbull. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of where I was going with. Yeah, yeah. With what I was. 
why I asked. I would agree with that. My other most disappointing is like the both men climbing the ladder to punch each other with nothing above them. But I'm not too mad about it. It didn't ruin the match for me. But I, it was it was the thing that happened a couple of times that like took me out of something that I was very into. But it didn't take me so far out that I like I got right back in. But whenever that spot happens, I always just kind of like shrug or shake my head. But it's only yeah. ten or fifteen seconds. It's no big deal. Are we really saying that there wasn't that much? That one no. disappointing on the show. I mean, yeah. like uh, I said, this is my favorite like of the ECW shows. Yeah, I mean, t- Tommy Dreamer doesn't just pushes him I off. I mean, Tommy Dreamer's but, commentary was well, yeah, but like that's just kind of nit- nitpicky. Concern for his friend. Yeah, it was nitpicky, but you he talked to such a small extent that you forgot he was there mm-hmm. when he did speak. But when he did speak, it meant something. It, like the words meant something, but the inflection was flat. Yeah. So whatever. Who cares? We know that he loves Terry Funk. You don't have to, like. Yeah. You the, know, choke, the choke slam. It's one of those things. Like Shane doesn't have to tell me that he loves his mom. I know he loves his mom. We know Tommy Dreamer loves Terry Funk. Tommy Dreamer doesn't even have to tell us that. But on a wrestling show, he has to tell people that, especially when dream it's partner a for two new. Matches now. When it's you're bringing new people in, like how many people I bought just, the show? I just thought of something. That Let's was hear. Just Lance Storm's uh, chair shots. Oh yeah, those were pretty bad. Yeah, um, Lance Storm was very uh, very I, ginger. I, I will call I will call out Lance Storm when when yeah. that kind of thing happens. Yeah, for sure, he's known as a safe worker, and he was too safe. It was a little too safe on yeah. those. Yeah. How about best performer of the night? Oh my god. Uh, I'm just gonna be, say ECW. It could be almost anybody. I, as a, as a personal choice, the person that I was, came away with a new excitement for was Gran Hamada. Everything was so, everything he did looked so powerful and crisp. And uh, it really was like, this is, is this guy the perfect worker? I don't know. See, we may we've seen Grand Hamada before, but in this match, like he just fucking shined in a huge way. I would yeah. give a small shout out to our Green Power Ranger who was subbed in for uh, Grand Naniwa who was hurt, and he was the heart of the match. I think yeah. he was absolutely the heart of that match, as he's the young guy with two older guys, and uh, he was. Where he needed to be, he was on the apron, like reaching out for the tag, reacting to what was happening in the match, but not entering the ring, afraid of potentially a DQ. And you could read that all in his body language. But he didn't know he was at ECW, where DQ never gonna happen, brother. Yeah, I don't know who to give it to either. I, I mean, I feel, I'm picking guys. I, I feel yeah. like it, I, I feel like Terry Funk just. Yeah, going out there at fifty-three years old and just doing what he did and performing the way he does, like it's always, it's always incredible to watch him do it. Yeah, and because he's adjusted his style just enough that it feels modern, you know, for the yeah, late nineties, for... while still keeping his style 
that he's always had. I mean, it's still old school. The way he sells, it's a testament to... To good old days. To, to How like, good old to, wrestling is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's, my preferred wrestling is the ones with... Is wrestling with uh, rules. And um, Terry Funk's wrestling like a, a man that has a ref that matters and doing it in a place where it doesn't and it still translates. I was going to say a man who's come to his senses after being outriding <laughs> fences. fences for so long now. Oh, uh, yeah. Barbed wi- <laughs> outriding barbed wire fences in, in Japan for maybe too long. How about most surprising? That I... It struggles so hard to find. I mean, there's two most tur- disappointing things. There's two turns here, and like I was surprised with the Alfonso turn, but I've watched enough in like when the wrestler came out. I watched a lot of ECW matches that I downloaded in like torrent packs, where it was like these are some of the greatest matches, but they weren't in any kind of context. And me and my friend Devin would um, like smoke weed and uh, watch these like dvds that i burned of matches i downloaded so i knew that bill alfonso becomes the manager for sabu and rvd but it had been so long that i forgot and i didn't have the context so that turn was surprising until it until it dawned on me and i was like oh yeah it had to happen at some point and uh, this is a good place for it to happen yeah i'm right there with you i knew it I knew it happened at some point. I just didn't know that it was like in a match like this where it's like like you said earlier, it it's a double turn basically. And it's the biggest match of uh, Taz and Sabu's because career. This is this is the foundation where Taz starts just rocketing up the card. I mean this is why Taz this is the like fulcrum point for Taz making his way to the WWF before RVD. And we all know why Sabu doesn't make it in any meaningful way to either major promotion because Sabu is like, what if Too Cold Scorpio smoked PCP? It's just dangerous and not potentially, yeah, probably not worth your money. But RVD, he's just going to smoke weed and he can talk. The other one is Brian Lee turning. Because I was like, that one, oh. Okay, that one actually pretty is pretty surprising because no clue. Like, yeah. I, I kind of looked to see... I was like, oh yeah, it's rude, it's rude, it's What's rude. going on? Yeah. I was paying attention to the uh, guys in the masks. Well, see, I knew it wasn't him. The, um... I knew it wasn't him wearing the, the face mask just because the angle that they had him from, there was no real mustache that I saw. At all, it was covered up by the mouthpiece. Well, there's too much of a goatee. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know enough about Brian to for it to be that surprising for me because you've seen a lot of Brian Lee. I'm just saying that I thought it would be rude. I didn't. I didn't anticipate the like the double surprise. Yeah, yeah. It's like the uh, what is the word for it? Not distraction, but the subversion. I didn't expect. The subversion of the reveal of the man Rick Rude. I did expect Rick Rude when he... uh, I mean, we've known it's been Rick Rude for a while. Yeah, but when he unmasked himself, I 
was not surprised that uh, he did nothing and Brian Lee made yeah. the attack because uh, Rick Rude is physically not cleared to wrestle. And if he was, he wouldn't be here because, yeah. my God, what a talent. Uh, my, my most surprising still is the face Rude. I never thought I'd see the day where Rick Rude was the good guy. So I mean, here, it's like, well, he'll never wrestle again, and they're kind of doing the manipulative thing of making you think that Rick Rude might have a match in ECW. Which is kind of dirty, but you can't really blame them. And like, if they're going to give Rick Rude a thousand dollars, a couple hundred dollars, two thousand dollars, who knows how much it is, I want only the best for Rick Rude. So. And I swear to God, if if he turns into simply ravishing Brian Lee, no, I might be done. He doesn't have the swagger. <laughs> he doesn't have the swagger. For and now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Sabu had been the ECW Heavyweight Champion for the past couple months when Terry Funk would challenge for the title at Holiday Hill on December 26th, 1993. The fight would spill out to the floor immediately for chairs to be used, only for Funk to respond with multiple pile drivers once back in the ring. The homicidal one would use his high flying to deliver Air Sabu in a split-legged moonsault for a near fall. A table would end up in the ring with Terry and the ref being tossed into it several times, with Funk falling out to the floor, only for Sabu to then leap out with a moonsault. Paul E. Dangerously would nail Terry, while Shane Douglas would come out to attack the homicidal one, only then for the lights to go out. But when they came back on, Funk was on top of Sabu, with Douglas dragging the ref over for the pin to make Terry Funk the new champion. All three men would then feud over the next few months, leading to an ultimate challenge. Bum, bum, bum. I kind of love that we're in a uh, Ouroboros. I know that the first time Terry Funk became ECW champ in the, yeah. the episode with him being mm-hmm. him the, the next, champion. Yeah, we're sort of like, okay, well, we covered these things, but... You just write it so well, man. Next week, In Your House 14, Revenge, Revenge. of the Taker. Dong. God, what a fucking theme song. <laughs> so good. Whenever they get to those fucking high notes. So music from this week's show is... Desperado. Well, the opening theme song. Oh, continue. It's a new one. Is it? This is Extreme by Harry Slash and the Slash Tones. Five five? No. No. Oh. Five five, no. <laughs> the uh yeah, I did recognize it from it's like it's, it's the song that they play from now on, basically yeah, for yeah. ECW stuff. I mean it's the one you think of yeah. for ECW because it's kinda of the one that gets dubbed in later because it's by Harry Slash and the Slash Tones. Maybe the worst band name I've ever heard. And, as you guys have mentioned several times, Terry Funk won our main event, so we play his theme music, Desperado, Desperado. by the Eagles. I mean, I only like the Eagles if it's a Joe Walsh song. I think In the City is basically the best Eagles song, because it's just a Joe Walsh song. But I like Timothy Schlitt. 
Peaceful, easy feeling. Uh, peaceful, easy feeling is okay. I don't know if I know Timothy Schlitt. Is that a member or a song? Yeah, he was a member. Okay. But uh, Desperado, not a song I ever cared for, but with Terry Funk, it just seems right. It with works. his With his little wilting voice. His, when Terry Funk speaks, it sounds like a flower losing its petals. Doesn't it? And it just feels feels right. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts at. Five stars or no stars. Come on, guys. ECW, finally. They've done a good job plenty of times. But they did their best job here tonight. And I think uh, we did a pretty okay job talking about it. So, you know. Say better than okay. Yeah, Better than yeah. even pretty okay. Yeah. Put... Put the petals back on the flowers and give us five stars, damn it. <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns. You ever been to Rochester, New York? Because that's where we're going next. Yeah. And uh, Chicken I, nuggets is probably what they eat there. Is, I assume Rochester is like New York State, right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's not like... The city. Yeah. I don't know. New York State. I've never is, been to New York State uh, or yeah. New York City. I haven't been to New York State. I've been to uh, <laughs> Long Island, which is. That's why I'm like, is it a borough? But no, I mean, I, I guess I, I believe I, it's a city. I guess I've no, been. Rochester's north. Of, yeah. Yeah. Up north, closer to Albany and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is basically the we live. They live. They're like, oh yeah, well, I live in Albany, New York. And we're like, we live in Oklahoma City, and it's like, same place. It's like basically the same place, except for our weather is like maybe a little better. But but you can do any of those things at our email of wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on X, Wrestling HistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Love the laters. <laughs>